to be honest, early on, I was terrible. Um, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing when I launched um, several sites in the 2002 to 2005 timeframe. And I just expected them to kind of market themselves because that's what Inc. Magazine tells you, tells <laughs> you, leads you to believe or TechCrunch or whatever. Um, the way I did it, <clears throat> excuse me, the way I did it was to slowly acquire one skill at a time and add one marketing skill, focus on it, learn it, get good at it, and then move on to the next one. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Hey everyone, just a quick heads up that we're giving away a ebook called 29 Growth Hacking Quick Wins. We co-authored this book with Matan Griffel of One Month, and it'll give you a solid base on where you can create growth ideas from. So all you need to do is text QUICK TIPS to 33444. That's the word QUICK, Q-U-I-C-K, and TIPS, T-I-P-S as in sugar, to 33444, and you get instant access. All right, everyone. Today we have Rob Walling, who's the founder of Drip, which is an email marketing automation tool that allows you to craft every interaction with your leads, trial users, and customers like an artesian. I personally just became a customer uh, about a week ago, and so far I've been very happy with uh, their team and the product itself. Rob, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks for being here. So can you talk to us a little bit about uh, your background and how it eventually led up to Drip? Sure. I'm I'm a software developer by training. Uh, you know, did it as a hobby when I was a kid, and so it was a natural fit to start um, writing code for a living uh, around 2000. So it's about 15 years ago, and I quickly realized that that you know being a salaried employee and a consultant was probably not um, not something that I was going to do forever, and so I kind of made the the first freedom leap from salary to doing uh, consulting development work essentially, and then that lasted a few years before I was tired of it of the hamster wheel, and I started launching some small products on the side, little software, uh, either software products or websites. And this is, you know, 2002 to 2006. So it was kind of the web 2.0 era. And I had a bunch of failures as you, as you would expect. Um, and then ha- had a first product success that I actually acquired from uh, some other developers. And it was called .NET Invoice. And uh, basically parlayed that up from there and just, you know, built and then acquired several more apps over the coming years. And, uh, you know, in 2000. 12. Yeah, it was 2000, late 2012. I came up with the idea for Drip based on a, a problem we had just setting up marketing funnels and, and getting email marketing to tell us, you know, who had converted and when and why and to do basic things like moving people in and out of lists and, and tagging and not having to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month. And so we started, uh, started building it in late 2012. Got it. Okay. And how many customers does Drip have today? We are approaching the 1000 customer mark. Got it. Okay. Um, all right. So my understanding is Drip had to do a semi-pivot uh, before becoming what it is today. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually, what I just said about you know having the vision of, of wanting automation from the start, that isn't totally accurate. What actually happened is 
we had a problem. I wanted an email capture form on every page of one of our uh, the apps that I owned. This app is called Hittail. It's a SaaS app that does long tail keywords. And in order to get just a pretty simple JavaScript widget, I didn't want a big light box or, or you know, there were no exit triggered stuff back then, but I didn't want something that was really irritating. And so we, we wanted just a little toaster widget in the lower right, kind of like an OLARC chat window. We wanted that to capture email, and then we wanted people to get a mini course, like a five or seven day email mini course. Just doing that and getting the design and the JavaScript for it. And, and getting it into MailChimp at the time and getting the autoresponder set up was days of work. Literally, a, de- a developer paying you know uh, f- eight hours a day, it took him two or three days to get that going. And that was insanity to me, that there wasn't an easier way to do it. Now, today, of course, there's Drip can do this. Um, there's Optin Monster. There's Sumo Me, And there's a number of other, other products popping up to do that. But there wasn't anything. I mean, it was open source libraries back then. So that was the initial... Um, vision of Drip was just to be able to collect emails and and do super simple, um, you know, autoresponder sequences in essence. And we launched that. Um, I I built up a pretty good launch list. And uh, Derek, you know, who the developer, and he's now my co-founder. Um, we spent several months trying to figure out why we weren't able to grow the app because we we launched to about. Seven. Uh, it was between seven and nine thousand in monthly recurring revenue. That was like month one when we emailed the list, which is which is good, right? That's not a bad start for month one. But then I kept putting people into the funnel, and we were leaking them out as fast as they were coming in. And so then our our challenge was to find out how do we how do we keep these people? How do we build something that's worth the price that we're asking? And and the overwhelming feedback. There's of course a lot of feedback. You get a hundred people telling you fifty different things, but. In in the end, we I realized that you know we needed to to build in some marketing automation, basically build in the ability to tag and move people in and out of lists, and just add more power to the system. So we spent three to five months building that, and during that time, as we started rolling that out, um, churn went down, trial to paid conversion went up, just all the numbers went in the right direction, and that we were off to the races. And that was a year and a half, almost a year and a half ago at this point. I um, mean, the, the the hockey stick has kind of been up and to the right since then. Got it. So it sounds like, I mean, once you started changing up the features, uh, you know, the, the growth really started happening, or did you do something else marketing wise that really, you know, kind of got your audience to start to understand the power of drip? What exactly happened there? It, it was the features. We, we did not have product market fit um, because I was doing the same marketing uh, and pushing the same number of people, you know, to the, to the homepage and, um, just we weren't getting as many trials and the trial to paid was not as high and the churn was higher before we released these features. And so once we started calling ourselves a marketing, a lightweight marketing automation platform, all the numbers flipped, you know, and it was the same amount of traffic. I think we actually, over the course of a couple of months, we actually had less traffic each month and we, and our numbers were like, revenue was going up. It was really an interesting thing to kind of witness that happen. It was very notable that the features and what we were building was was what was uh, making the difference. Got it. And so approximately how much did you guys grow and how much did churn go down once you guys made the flip? Um, the flip was something like, you know, trial. Let's say, So we asked for credit card up front when someone signs up for a trial. It's, it drips a SaaS app. And we were at trial to paid was around... 35-ish percent, and I, I like to see it between 40 and 60. And as soon as we you know, did this move to marketing automation, um, that moved into f- between 45 and 50% trial-to-paid conversion almost immediately. Um, churn 
dropped. I'm trying to think of what it was. It was it was too high. I mean, it was uh, you know ten to twelve percent aggregate churn, and it dropped in half right away, which is still not you know not not where you need to be. Um, but if you split out for sixty days, your the post sixty day churn actually dropped sub- significantly to very low uh, single digits, and then um, revenue. It basically started growing. I mean, it wasn't right away. Right away, it started growing one and two thousand dollars a month, and then as things accelerated, it started growing at three, four, you know, five thousand a month. Wow. Okay. Awesome. No, I want to backtrack a little bit. Um, it sounded like you have some type of pre-launch strategy. It, it sounded like you had an email list to launch to. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. How did you go about acquiring those emails? Yeah. So by the time we launched, we had right. It was right around thirty-four hundred emails. And there were, I think there were four or five different sources for those. I, I have this, this concept I call concentric circle marketing. And so, you know, if you, if you imagine like a dartboard, there's a circle at the center of your bullseye, and that's circle one, and that's your audience, right? So it's people that um, you can email, it's your email list, your, your Twitter following, your podcast audience, your blog audience, whatever. And then the next one out is a uh, warm audience. So it's kind of you, maybe your colleagues or your friends, if they run podcasts, if they're willing to vouch for you uh, and mention you. And then the third one out is cold traffic. So I always start with that, that inner circle because um, I have a blog and a podcast and uh, Twitter following and all that stuff. And so that's what I started doing was really talking about the idea. <clears throat> you know, as soon as we decided to, to build it, I started talking about the process of building it because um, folks who follow me, you know, are, are building startups and, and software. And uh, that built the list pretty quickly up to about, let's say, 500, 5 to 600. Um, I knew that the conversion rate on those wouldn't be phenomenal because, you know, part of my audience is people just getting into it and they weren't going to be willing to pay 50 bucks a month for, a, you know, a marketing automation tool or, or an email marketing tool at that time. So that got us up to about 500. And then I started... I. I pretty consistently get asked to come on podcasts just to talk about software entrepreneurship and building startups. And so I, was, I wasn't even trying to promote it, but it just always wound up coming up. And so that, I would guess, built another, it's hard to track that, right? Because it's verbal mentions, but that had to be at least another 500 uh, to 600 over that time. Then I ran Facebook ads to a landing page and I ran them you know, based on email marketing interests, um, ran them to SaaS apps, ran them to anyone that I thought could be the target market for it. And that was another almost a thousand um, emails. And then I'm trying to think what the other, I, I don't recall what the other, because there's still another thousand missing there. But th- those were the, oh, uh, the other, there were several from like a beta list and those types of sites that you submit when you're still in beta. Mm. I think we got three or 400 from there. It was that that kind of stuff. I mean, I was marketing, you know, I had this concept, start marketing the day you start coding. And literally, that's what we did. Derek went off and started writing code. And it became my focus to, to build that list. And I wanted to get a list of between 1,000 and 1,500. And so by the time it was, you know, 3,400-ish, um, I, was, I was pretty pleased with that. Got it. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Now, uh, people always talk about wanting to build a predictable machine. I think when you're starting out, it, it makes sense to, you know, get on a beta list. There's all these other sites to get on to just get that inkling of traction. But I want to hone in on, on the Facebook ads. So what exactly were you doing in, in terms of, of Facebook ads? And I guess um, uh, more of a question is the, in terms of cost per acquisition, how much were you paying per email? I was paying about $3.50 per email. And I was sending them to a landing page 
that had, it was different landing pages with different headlines. And that was part of the, the value of this was not just getting the interest list. But for me, it was figuring out which of these value propositions resonates with an audience. Again, this is, we, we are actively building the product, but we have not launched. No one's using it. So I was trying to figure out, are people more willing to, to give, provide their email if the headline is um, create a double-digit jump in your conversion rate? Or if we have one that says more leads, more customers, or if we, you know, use a, a different phrasing. And so I was testing all types of, of value props um, based on our experience, you know, having built this thing on Hittail, we had real numbers and it had created a double digit jump in our conversion rate. And so I was trying to figure out different ways to communicate that. Um, oh, and the, another one was like, you know, epic email autoresponders, um, epic email capture, that kind of stuff. And uh, so then I was running the ads in Facebook with the same headline. And then you just have to try a bazillion images. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's a big part of doing it. Right. Okay. Now, you know, you have an engineering background and most engineers, you know, they don't typically think about marketing at the same time, but yet you seem to have it locked down. So how can, how can somebody with an engineering background start to really, you know, understand and, and get good at, at marketing? Yeah, that that's a really good question, actually. And to be honest, early on, I was terrible. Um, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing when I launched um, several sites in the 2002 to 2005 timeframe. And I just expected them to kind of market themselves, because that's what Inc. Magazine tells you, tells you, <laughs> leads you to believe or TechCrunch or whatever. Um, the way I did it, <clears throat> excuse me, the way I did it was to slowly acquire one skill at a time and add one marketing skill, focus on it, learn it, get good at it, and then move on to the next one. It's just like learning development. You know, you don't jump in and try to learn PHP, C-sharp, and Rails all at once. Um, you learn a single language and you get good enough at it that, you know, that you can be dangerous with it. And then maybe you can move on to something else. So I think that having firsthand experience with it and having some type of, of little project that you can tool around with is really uh critical to that. You can certainly read about all the approaches, but um, you know, nothing beats firsthand experience. I'm also a pretty hearty believer in this thing I call the stair-step approach, and it's basically um, building small products first and not trying to build a, a SaaS app like Drip that is quite complicated, um, expensive to build. It's not super easy to, you know, to manage and to market and all that stuff. I would not build that if I was a first-time entrepreneur because um, it's just it's so much work. I mean, you, you can't you can't jump to the major leagues if you're you know if you haven't even played little league. I stair stepped up and had these little tiny products that had a single sales channel. You know, often it was either uh, organic traffic from Google or AdWords or Facebook ads. I mean, it was some some pretty simple stuff. And once you learn, you know, doing those channels teaches you how to write copy, teaches you how to optimize pages, teaches you how to split test, and you can take those skills and they later translate into um, you know, launching a larger app. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. It, I mean, you know, obviously I know the difference, but it would be helpful for everyone else. Uh, how does drip defer? I mean, really how's drip different from the competition? So, you know, you have Infusionsoft out there, you know, people understand it as Confusionsoft. How are you guys really different? Uh, yeah, our, our goal is, and, and where I think we've, we've finally landed in the past few months is we offer almost the complete Infusionsoft uh, tool set. You know, aside from, I mean, you know, Infusionsoft does a bunch of things. I mean, it does landing pages and, and affiliate tracking and shopping carts and all that stuff. And we don't do that. But the core of Infusionsoft that most people use is this, this heavy email automation, the ability to send the right message to the right people at the right time and manage all of that. And at this point, we are as close to feature parity as, you know, as, as I know how to be. Um, but 
we are far less expensive and we are far, far, far easier to use. That's been our big push is usability. It's ease of getting set up, ease of understanding the paradigm, and then just a you know, an easy-to-use interface. Derek is a UX guy. Uh, he's a developer, but he his UX is is off the charts, you know, and that's one of the reasons I really wanted to pair with him on this because if we were going to come in and just build something that did the same thing as an Infusionsoft and it wasn't any easier to use, and the, really what's your value? You know, you don't want to be a, just a low, pr- you don't want to compete on price alone. And so uh, that's, that's the idea is to have kind of a mid-market offering because, you know, you can be on MailChimp and Aweber and, <clears throat> and get value out of that for sure, but you, it, I'm sure you've experienced, you outgrow that pretty quickly. Right. Um, if, if you're actually building a list and wanting to do things that are pretty exotic, you're going to outgrow those tools. And, you know, as of a couple years ago, the next step up was Infusionsoft, which is three to 500 bucks a month. And it's very, there's two grand, it's two grand up front to kind of get in the door. And it's quite hard to use. I mean, you'll hear that uh, from a lot of people. And so we wanted to be in between those two, like this step up from, from MailChimp and Aweber. Got it. Makes total sense. And, you know, I'm coming from an Aweber world and, you know, I just knew that in order to set up my funnels in a really creative way, um, I had to have something like Infusionsoft or Drip. And the thing is, I hired a Infusionsoft consultant. I actually hired someone to put together a funnel, ended up costing two grand. But I, I just knew something was wrong. Um, and I, I talked to a lot of people using Infusionsoft and, you know, they they're just like, no, you're going to regret it. Like, you better, you know, get out of it before while you still can. And so I'm like, I'm just going to eat the two grand cost. I'm going to move over to drip. And it's I just right when I got in, I started understanding how to use it. And I think that's exactly what um, any marketer is looking for at the end of the day. So that's a testament to you. Very cool. I appreciate that. Cool. All right. Um, so tell us about one big struggle you faced while growing the business. Well, I mean, after we launched to this, you know, seven, eight thousand bucks a month and we were revenue was was flat for about four or five months. And I, you know, having the experience that I have, um, having launched, acquired and grown a ton of, of different apps and in different industries, I expected that I'd be able to grow it faster. And I became extremely frustrated with that. Um we actually recorded, we would record our weekly calls during that time, Derek and I, and we, we edited those down into like a two-hour audio documentary. Uh, it was like nine hours of audio that I edited down. Um, and that's that's at startupstoriespodcast.com if you're interested in hearing. But th- I talk a lot, we talk a lot during that time about what are we building and who are we building it for? You know, we already have 125 customers, I think, at that point. And yet we were getting so many different feature requests and it seemed like anything we built was not, changing the numbers the way I wanted them to go. And so that was probably the darkest time for me was, was right during that time when we weren't growing. Um, and cause once you have growth, I don't know, I don't know about you, but like growth, growth fixes everything, you yeah, know, yeah. It, it makes me feel, uh, makes me feel happy. Right. Yeah, totally, totally agree with that. And I, I think, I, I guess what would be your, your, your key takeaway from, from that moment? I mean, you know, you had to sit through, you know, four dark months. I mean, you know, what, if you were to experience that again, or I guess if you were to tell people, what would be your key takeaway from that? Yeah, well, my my key takeaway that I kept telling myself is you should have you should expect this. Um, this is the learning phase. You know, the the first phase of of building a startup is the is building. The second phase is learning, and the third phase is scaling. And that learning phase is variable, and it's almost always going to take longer than you want it to, even if you know, like me, you have experience and you have the confidence you can do it. And I was, you know, well enough capitalized because of all the other apps I have generating revenue. So I, I, it wasn't a cash issue, but it still 
you, you can't compress that any further. And that's actually why, you know, I, you see a startup raise five or 10 million bucks. And even with that money at their back, you, I don't think you can accelerate it that much, that learning phase, because it's just a bunch of trial and error and it's trying to sift through customer requests and do customer development and build things as fast as you can in order to hit that product market fit mark where your, your numbers, you know, actually start to align. Right. I, I think, I mean, you having success in the past, I mean, four months sometimes can seem like a, wow, am I just incompetent all of a sudden or yep. what is it? But I, I think, you know, it's just something you have to kind of just suck up and deal with. And I think you're, you're exactly right. Um, okay. So what's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25 year old self? I would say to start doing things in public sooner. And what I mean by that is I, Everything that has everything good that has come out of me being a founder or, or an entrepreneur of any type um, has come out of me doing something that scared the crap out of me. And the early things were just starting a blog and publishing a, the first blog post about software development was terrifying. And the hair stood up on the back of my neck and the blood rushed to my face. And no one read the damn thing, but it was terrifying. And over time, I learned to ship. And I learned to ship a blog post or two each week. And, you know, the, the terror eventually goes away and the blog grew and, you know, 10,000 people read it and then 20,000 and then 30,000. And so that was such a, a learning experience. Same thing with uh, public speaking. I, I wrote a book at a certain point. I started getting a lot of questions um, as I was getting more success in 2008, 2009. So I wrote a book and that got me a lot of public speaking opportunities at conferences and, and such. That was terrifying. But, you know, you push through it and you get better. And now I'm, a, you know, hopefully a decent public speaker. Podcast, same thing. Uh, we have a, I have a podcast with 260 episodes. Terrifying for the first 10 or 20 episodes. Launching an app it, that's kind of part of you and that is, you know, uh, that you're personally, you know, uh, you're, you're really linked to it. Um, it is scary because you're concerned that, that people are going to, they're going to laugh at you. They're going to rag on you. They're going to, you know, say that it sucks, all of these things. And, um, that's, that's what I wished I'd, I would do over as I would start doing any of those things earlier because it just teaches you how to, how to, how to launch, how to ship. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, okay. Now in terms of your, your ideal day, how would you structure your ideal day? Um, I think, you know, getting up, I'm not a morning person, but I've kind of learned to be because I think that's, I do think it's the most productive hours of the day for most people. Um, and I've, I've kind of, started to uh started to adjust to that so i think getting up around eight o'clock uh having breakfast and coffee and then sitting down and hammering through email i'm actually you know i know that's it's the the common wisdom to not jump into email right away but these days answering email is my job like that's where the partnerships get get done and that's where you know large customers um that's where i connect with them and um so yeah i i guess i'm a believer in like being responsive to email, it doesn't run my life, but uh, I definitely do it for about an hour each morning. And then I dive into my Trello board, uh, my Trello list, which is um, stuff like, well, it's like the, the bigger efforts that we're trying to do, you know, the bigger marketing efforts. And then I enjoy having some conversations. Typically, I either have podcast interviews or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in a, a Skype mastermind group and or I record. I'm, I have two podcasts of my own. So I'm doing that kind of stuff um, often in the afternoons. Awesome. I, I guess it would be helpful since you have two podcasts to tell the audience how podcasting has helped you. Yeah. I mean, you know what podcasting has done is it's 
it's helped uh, augment my kind of the personal brand side or the a side that I kind of stumbled on unintentionally. I wrote this blog about software development and then later about software entrepreneurship, and it it you know much to my happiness it it grew a following, and then I wrote a book, and then the podcast just kind of brought me closer. Um, I mean, there's so much there's so much more engagement on a podcast. So, you know, even when I had a blog audience of like 25,000 people, I would say it was about equivalent to having 2,500 listeners of the podcast. Like I really think it's about a 10 to one uh, difference in terms of engagement because you're in someone's earbuds every week for 30 minutes and it's your voice. And the podcast startups for the rest of us allowed us to then launch a conference. We're trying to get everybody together in the same room. Let's just get a bunch of self-funded startup founders in the same room. And that was the first microconf. Um, now we run microconf twice a year in Vegas and then in Europe. Um, and you know, it's just, I think it just, it's easy enough. If you can talk on the mic, it's, I think it's easier than blogging. It's certainly less time consuming and yet it allows us, it has allowed us to kind of be, uh, at the forefront of people's minds in the, in the startup community. Awesome. Great. And yeah, I I mean, at the end of the day, it's just like what you said earlier, you just got to ship. It's honestly not that hard to do a podcast and you know, it's starting to explode again. So happy to see you kind of taking advantage of all this. Yep. All right. Um, what's one must-read book to, you'd recommend to the audience? Well, I mean, let me give you two. You interviewed Gabriel Weinberg. Yep. Tr- Traction. You have to read Traction. Um, the other one, you know, if you're if you're launching a SaaS app, there's one called SaaS Marketing Fundamentals. I think is what it's called. It's by Ryan Battles, and it's really good at, at specifically looking at you know, marketing approaches and, and how to kind of get to product market fit with SaaS. Interesting. Wow. That's one book I've never heard about. I'm going to, I mean, we're going to drop these both in the show notes for sure. Um, people have heard of Gabriel, obviously. Um, all right, Rob, what's the best way for people to find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Rob Walling. And if you're interested in, uh, in podcasts, um, I talk for about 30 minutes each week on startups for the rest of us about this kind of stuff and also talk about you know founder uh, balancing family startup and life on a podcast called zen founder wow okay awesome everyone this is rob walling founder of drip make sure you check out the app if you want to do marketing automation in a lightweight way i definitely recommend it thanks again rob thank you for having me sir Hey everyone, just a quick heads up that we're giving away a ebook called 29 Growth Hacking Quick Wins. We co-authored this book with Matan Griffel of One Month and it'll give you a solid base on where you can create growth ideas from. So all you need to do is text quick tips to 33444. That's the word quick Q-U-I-C-K and tips T-I-P-S as in sugar to 33444 and you get instant access. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.